Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. This week we dive back into the world of fighting, struggling against multidrug resistant bacteria. Now the World Health Organisation notes that this is one of the looming threats and we've covered it here several times in the program, but this week we look at three novel and very strange ways of tackling multidrug resistant bacteria. And this story will link together platypuses, Shirley Temple, Cookie and Egg, and strange new molecular mechanisms. We begin this episode with a quick update on March Mammal Madness 2018. Now, we're going to talk about the great adaptions and the antithesis of bracket very briefly, and we preview what's coming in store on March 19th with the urban jungle and the when the cat's away, alter mammals bracket. Whilst there's been a lot of talk in the real March Madness about Cinderella's 16th seeds beating number one seed contender, we haven't actually seen too much of that this year in March Mammal Madness. In fact, the Great Adaptions bracket pretty much went as expected. There are a couple of unusual results, though, that are bear mentioning. The first is that the platypus, the famed and fabled Australian monotreme, which we here at Lagrange Point were strongly supporting, got knocked out by a lower-ranked maned rat. Now, what's interesting about the platypus is the reason why it was knocked out is that its venom in its claw has actually been all used up by this point in March because platypuses tend to deplete their venom during mating season, which is now drawing to a close. So our poor platypus was without its venom. Now, just remember platypus venom because we're going to come back to it later in this episode. The rest of the round proceeded pretty much as expected. Pygmy hippo, water deer, the Tasmanian devil, the jacarunda, the crab eater seal, and the cheetah all progressing as their seeding would suggest. We're now the slightly creepy and terrifying Ai with the very long and weird fingers, managed to weird out the Kotamundi and progress despite being three places ranked lower. No such nonsense though occurred in the Antesis bracket where the Dodecarus, Ambolodon, Dimetrodon, and Andrusacarus made short work of their much lower ranked competitors. It was a little bit interesting in the more close around batches. The Homo floriensis, the hobbit, managed to destroy craftily the Paleocoxodon, the very small elephant. The Phylacoleo and the Pseudolathrus also managed to overcome the much lower seeded rivals. Now, the only really upset was the battle between, well, the rather large ancestor cat and a giant water sloth. Now, the giant water sloth, the Signonathus, unfortunately was swept away in the current. Now, despite being a good swimmer, it was no match for the Thalassocene. Now, the next week's rounds include the first rounds of Urban Jungle and the Alt Mammals Bracket. The Urban Jungle will feature some interesting creatures such as the Harare Hyena, the Cape Town Baboon, the Berlin Boar, and the Moscow Dog, which are all very unusual variants on otherwise common creatures. Now, the Alt Mammals Bracket will feature the victorious wildcard, the Praying Mantis, along with Komodo Dragons, giant salamanders, giant snapping turtles, green anacondas, and tarantulas. So that's one to keep your eye on for some potential upsets. So we're halfway through round one of March Mammal Madness, and there'll be more to come, as I said before, continuing on March 19th in the US. So March 20th in Australia and the other hemispheres. While the absence of venom in the platypus's claw is what led to be eliminated from March Mammal Madness 2018. Such an absence didn't phase 
researchers from Australia's CSIRO, Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organisation, and Deakin University in Melbourne, which have been studying the properties of platypus milk. Now, we've known for some time that platypus milk has the potential to help, particularly with antimicrobial resistance. Now, platypus milk has a lot of strange properties, not being the least that it's actually expressed as sweat through the skin in the platypus's belly rather than through a teat like most other mammals. But, you know, it's a platypus, so everything's weird when it comes to the platypus. And we've known since 2010 that, you know, platypus milk contains some unique antibacterial properties that could be very useful to fight superbugs. Any, and superbug, just as a reminder, is anything that's got a resistance to antimicrobial resi treatment. And this is one of the reasons that the World Health Organization and pretty much every government across the world is incredibly worried about the potential day zero where all of our current antibiotics and antimicrobial treatments are no longer as effective as they once were. So researchers are scrambling, looking under every rock and crevice to try and find a new antibiotic. And that's what led them to platypuses. So we've known since 2010 that yes, that platypus milk can be quite useful. But that's all well and good, but milking a platypus is just a time-consuming exercise. So to further understand this, researchers from Siren Deacon have been digging into the actual properties of the particular proteins inside platypus milk that actually helps give it that antimicrobial characteristics. And all of this has brought them to Shirley Temple. Now I'm not talking about the actress, nor the cocktail. I'm rather talking about the very unique folding mechanism that these proteins in the platypus milk are actually undergoing. So this research, which was led by Dr. Janet Newman, and along with Deakin University's Dr. Julie Sharp, have been trying to dig into what exactly made platypus milk so special. Now, because the platypus expresses the milk through the skin, that means that there's no real nice clean surface to actually keep nice and clean, that you would have in a teat otherwise. So that is why they theorise that these milk has particular antimicrobial properties to make sure that they're not passing on to their children any dirt or anything else that's picked up on their skin. So they took these samples of milk and they threw it in the synchrotron, the highly powerful particle accelerator in Melbourne, and then they took the results to the Collaborative Crystallisation Centre, C3. And what they actually managed to do by doing this is take some amazing X-ray crystallography images of the actual protein in action. And what they found was, well, they could see it fold in really unusual and complex ways. We know the chemical properties of this protein because we could watch it, observe it, but we never actually knew how it worked. And so much of, of biochemistry involves really complicated geometric constructions. And this instance was an incredible three-dimensional fold. Not a simple folding in half or a right angle, but rather a 3D wrapping in a spiral that looks a lot like Shirley Temple's curly ringlet hair. Now the next steps are obviously to synthesize and replicate this protein in a non-lab setting. And that's what these researchers are now trying to push on and do. Which just goes to show that the actual venom of the platypus can have some very useful properties that will hopefully help us tackle antimicrobial resistance in the future. So we've spoken about multi-drug resistance a lot on this program, and that's because it's one of the biggest issues facing science today. Now, when you try to tackle it, you can go to some unusual places to find new antimicrobial proteins or treatments, which is what they're doing in the case of looking at platypus milk. But there's some other ways you could go about it as well. 
Now, as we know, the race between bacteria and antibacteria is a never-ending arms race. As soon as one thing develops a new strategy to deploy, the other has to try and counter it. And this continuing cycle is why we've ended up in this place in the first place. But one of those key elements there is that, well, that resistance that the bacteria develop gets passed on between the bacteria. These new genes are passed on by transposons, which are kind of called jumping DNA. Basically, they're genetic elements that can switch locations in the genome autonomously. Now, these transposons, when they're transferred between bacteria, they can carry along with them the antibiotic-resistant genes. And that is how the antibiotic resistance can spread from bacteria to bacteria, not just through random mutation or breeding, but also through this transfer mechanism. So how do you stop it? Well, a team of researchers at the Barabbas Group at EMBL have recently published a paper in the journal Cell in March that goes through two new techniques for trying to block this transfer of resistant genes from happening in the first place. And their idea is to go to the root cause. If you can block this transfer, this transposons, from actually transferring these resistant genes, then you'll stop the spread. Yes, it won't treat them, but it will stop it from getting worse. And that's really where they turned their focus, looking for a molecular basis for this transfer of antibiotic resistance inside bacteria. So what did they discover? Well, they identified that really the thing that's doing the most of the work in the transposon insertion machine is the transposase protein. Now, the transposase protein they've discovered through some great research in the crystal structure of the protein DNA, they actually found out, well, it has a really, really unusual shape. And that shape is very important. As I said before, in a lot of biochemistry, shape plays a key role in determining how things interact with each other. Now, in this instance, this enables it to bind to the DNA in an inactive state, which prevents it from being torn apart in half, cleavage, and thus the destruction of the transparent until it's, you know, managed to paste in the copied gene into the new host genome. And the protein's special shape also forces the transposon DNA to unwind and open up, allowing for it to insert the new thing it's copying across. In this instance, the antibiotic-resistant cargo. And it copies into lots of different places. And it's, this mechanism is very, very similar for lots of different types of bacteria. So by identifying the molecular mechanism that these bacteria are using to transfer genes from, to each other, then you get a better idea how you can block it. Group leader of EMBL, Osola Barabbas, who's the main leader of this team, stated, look, if you think about it in terms of ropes and wires, they're usually bundled and wound up to make them stronger. If you want to tear or cut one, it's much easier if you unwind it and loosen it first. And that's exactly the same thing happening in the DNA. The transponsome transfer mechanism basically unwinds it so you can separate out the DNA that you want and cut and insert in the new one. And that's all very useful actual structure. But how can this be adapted to block antibiotic-resistant genes? So now, Barabbas and her colleagues have figured out how this transfer mechanism works in the bacteria, and they've developed what they call proof-of-concept principles for blocking it. There's two real strategies that you could use to block the transfer. Now, the first prevents the transposase protein from actually activating or going to its confirmation state by blocking its shape directly. And they can do this using a newly designed peptide, a short chain of amino acids. Basically, by having a weird shape, it will sort of block the transposase protein from unwinding and unraveling to do its job. The second method is called a DNA mimic. And this one's pretty tricky, but very interesting. 
So what it does is it binds to that open site in the transposase, proton. And by doing that, it can sort of take the place of that antibiotic-resistant gene. So the transposase thinks, yeah, I've got something here, now time to go copy it in to the next bit of next cell. But instead of copying in the antibiotic-resistant gene, it's actually just copying a null gene, a blank. And that's a pretty good inoculation method as well. And that way you can target only the bacteria we want, read out the other ones, and allow the good bacteria transfers to keep going. That's probably not a bad mechanism. It's a bit more useful than just blocking the whole mechanism entirely. Now, obviously, this is very early stage, and it's got a limited range of application. You could only really use it for a person or an animal that is a carrier of the antibiotic-resistant gene. So this doesn't help treat it, but it helps stop the spread, especially if it becomes more commonplace. But if you have a better understanding of these transfer mechanisms, we've got a better way to stop it in action and stop the spread. So it's not the entirety of the fight, but it's an important piece of the puzzle that we're going to need to use if we're trying to stop the spread of multidrug resistant bacteria. Another European research team has been digging into the molecular properties of bacteria as well to try and figure out another way to stop them in their tracks. And these researchers from the, from the Flanders Institute for Biotechnology, KU Leuven and UZ Leuven, two Flemish universities, have developed what they call, well, a molecular glue. And the idea behind this is to really trap multidrug-resistant bacteria in place and turn their insides to goop using a similar process to boiling an egg. Now, one of the things about bacteria is that they're all in these different classes, these different groups, and that's one of the things that makes treating them so easy, but also difficult. If one group develops a resistance to the treatment, then pretty much now you have to find a whole new mechanism. And in particular, gram-negative bacteria, which includes some of the well-known bacteria like E. coli, are some of the ones that cause the most problems in hospitals. So when you have a mechanism that blocks that class or that works on that group, that's great until that whole group figures out how to counter it. So that's where these Flemish researchers, led by Professor Joost Schmuskowitz and Professor Frederick Rosau, along with Professor Johan van Erder, have been trying to go one step further, a new way of designing, just a whole new method of designing antibiotics that will give way to not just one, but many different antibacterial molecules. Now, the idea behind these is that the drugs themselves actually puncture in to the bacterial cells. And what they're trying to do when they puncture into the bacteria is to kick off a process called protein aggregation. Now, if you've ever watched an egg be fried or cooked, you'll understand this process. If you put an egg, crack it open, put it on a pan or on a sidewalk, if it's an incredibly hot day in Australia, you can watch the clear white egg white go from being this clear substance all the way to being hardened and white and now no longer transparent but opaque. Just as a fun note, the same thing will happen, this protein aggregation that's induced by cooking, if you freeze it with liquid nitrogen. That's just a fun fact for you to be a trier or sometime in a safe manner. Now, instead of using it with heat, they're trying to basically kick off that process using another mechanism. Now, the end result of doing this in the middle of a bacteria cell means that any proteins that, you, that are just normally hanging out there in the bacteria to carry out essential functions like digesting food or transferring DNA, 
they all now just clump together, aggregate, and can no longer carry out their function. And the idea here is that you're not just hitting one protein, but pretty much all of them. And in such a way that not only can they now longer digest food, but they also can't transfer genes, they can't split, they can't do any of the things that proteins enable us to do. And as such, the bacteria rapidly succumb and die. So these Flemish researchers have published in the scientific journal Nature Communications, and they've revealed a couple of different novel molecules that you could use with a strong antibacterial, in this instance, bactericide, in gram-negative bacteria. So it does require a specific drug to sort of trigger off this process. But the idea here is now that you could apply this not just to one type of antibacterial drug, but also many of them, and give us not just one tool to fight against infected bacteria, but many potential new avenues. So next time you're trying to think about a new way to tackle multi-drug resistant bacteria, try and think across your world, what other examples can we learn from? We've had not just platypus milk, but completely blocking the transfer, and even boiling an egg type methods. And that just goes to show the lengths that scientists are working to try and find new and novel ways of tackling this very serious problem. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. This week we covered three new, interesting and unique ways of tackling the problem of multidrug resistant bacteria. From platypus milk, cooking the insides of bacteria, and even blocking the genes from being transferred altogether. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.